<clears throat> we're coming, coming to an end here uh, very quickly uh, from the Old Testament survey that we've been doing. And uh, I've enjoyed uh, being able to teach some of this stuff. And <clears throat> a lot of things that uh, in studying and getting things ready and notes prepared <clears throat> that have been um, a help to me and a reminder to me of things that perhaps had been uh, not thought about recently or forgotten in, in time and even some things that were new to me that I had not known uh, that certainly have been a blessing to my life and um, have allowed uh, things to change in, in some ways. Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament. Uh, he is one of the minor prophets. His book is only uh, 21, I believe, verses long. It's uh, just a single chapter, 21 verses long. And yet, it is probably, if not, if not the most, it is at least one of the most um, direct and stern and powerful messages of God's impending judgment. And uh, it's very interesting that Sometimes God uses the small things. He doesn't have to use a lot of words to accomplish His meaning. And in, in, in this small 21-verse book, it is extremely powerful, the message that is uh, spoken here by Obadiah. There are 13 different Obadiahs that are mentioned in the Old Testament. Very little is known about him. Uh, we do not know where he was from. Uh, we, don't, we believe he was probably from the southern... Uh, excuse me, the southern kingdom of Judah. But uh, we do not know that for a certainty. Uh, a lot of people uh, think that that would be, that there's some indication that uh, that could be a possibility. Out of the 13 different Obadiahs that are mentioned in Scripture, there have been some attempts to try to um, see if he is actually one of the other 12 that are mentioned besides this one here. And uh, there are four uh, very distinct possibilities that are given. Uh, a number of them, one of them being that he could have been uh, an officer during the time of Ahab's reign, who was the one who, if you'll remember the story, uh, hid the prophets of God in a cave. And there's an Obadiah mentioned there that did that. And some people believe that that could be a possibility. Uh, personally, there are some other things about that story that I don't think quite fit the narrative of what he's speaking of here in this book. So I don't think that that's a very strong possibility, but a possibility nonetheless. The other po uh, second possibility is that he was uh, an official during the time of Jehoshaphat and that he was sent to teach the law to the cities of Judah. Uh, that was found in Second uh, Chronicles 17 and verse number 7. There's an Obadiah mentioned there that did that. There is a pretty strong possibility that that could be the case. There's a lot of indication um, probably out of the four possibilities would be the strongest argument that it could be possibly this one uh, that is mentioned during that time. The third one is that he was an overseer during the time of Josiah and he was used to repair the temple. Uh, and that's found in Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse number 12. Again, some of the historical setting of that time period does not quite seem to fit uh, the book of Obadiah, so I, I don't know that there's a strong possibility of that. Um, and then the fourth possibility is that he was a priest during the time of Nehemiah. Uh, I, again, would, this is probably the second strongest argument for, but there's an interesting thing about Obadiah found in chapter 1 and verse number 1, if you'll look at it with me. The vision of Obadiah, thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, and that's, I'm going to stop right there for a minute. 
that's really all that is said here of Obadiah. Typically, when a priest, uh, or a pro I'm sorry, when one of the prophets that were used to write Scripture introduced themselves, or God was introducing them in Scripture in that first verse or two, they, if they were a part of a line of the priesthood or part of a kingly line, they would oftentimes mention they were the son of and they would give the father's name. So I don't know that the fourth possibility is a very strong argument. It, it would be probably the second strongest out of the four. But because uh, he more than likely was not of a priestly line because there is no mention of his father here. Uh, I would not hold real strongly to that one. Probably the biggest one would be that he was... He could have been the Obadiah that was used during the time of Jehoshaphat uh, to teach the law to the cities of Judah. And so, uh, but but the end of the day, uh, there's no proof of Scripture. There's no uh, definitive thing saying this is the Obadiah that is spoken of here. Suffice to say, God took a man who was virtually an unknown and used him in a mighty way. And a great truth, and we've seen this already uh, in a couple of different instances, uh, where God takes uh, just somebody who's an ordinary person. He's not of a priestly line. He's not of a kingly line. He doesn't uh, have any, any um, uh, political draw because of his family. And God uses them in a mighty way simply because they're willing to be used. And I want to encourage us. <clears throat> it's easy to, to criticize, isn't it, when somebody wants to be used of the Lord and they're out here and they're striving and they're making an attempt and uh, they may not be doing it the very best, they may not be the most studious, they may not know all the things of Scripture and it's easy for us to sit back and say, boy, we're critical of them because they're not uh, finely polished and doing all these things. But yet they are making the effort and the desire and they're willing to be used of the Lord. And can I tell you this, God can use anyone. In fact, he says that he takes and uses the weak things of the world to conf and, uh, and those that are uh, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise and the weak things of the world uh, to, uh, to bring to naught the things that many times a lot of these uh, men that are powerful and have strength about them, uh, God uses sometimes those that are the meekest and the weakest among us to encourage and do his work. And I believe there's a reason behind that. Uh, I'll give you my opinion on it. It's generally those that don't have a whole lot. Uh, they aren't that talented. They don't have a lot of polish about them. That say, Lord, I can't do this work. But if you'll help me, and that's the key, I'm willing. And God is able to then get us out of the way so that he can do something mighty. And oftentimes, I, uh, I've really wrestled this week about the message uh, for the 11 o'clock hour in that it deals with a subject that, to be real frank with you, I don't feel like any man can adequately cover it. And I've spent some time this week with the Lord saying, Lord, how am I, how am I even going to preach this? And the truth is, there's a fallibility when we get overly confident that we are the ones that can do the work, when the truth is, all we can be is a vessel and let God do the work. It's got to be His message, His power, His way, His might. And I've often wondered if we're out of God's will, and I believe this to be true. I think God has given me that, that assurance in my life and my heart 
that we are out of God's will when we do God's work God's way, but we do it without His power, without His strength. And uh, I believe that with if we don't seek for God's power and strength to accomplish the work that he, we know He wants us to do, that we are wasting our time, that we are at best going to be frustrated in serving. And uh, Obadiah is one of these men that I look at and I think, He's a minor prophet. He wrote 21 verses of Scripture. And some people would look at that and say, what a common, ordinary man. He didn't do much. But then you read the message that God gave to him. And oh, what a powerful message. There are, uh, it's a, a message uh, to speak of the fact that God is going to judge Edom. We're going to talk about that in just a moment, who Edom was and why God is judging them. But one of the interesting things about this proclamation of judgment that Obadiah gives, contrary to all of the others that we've looked at so far where God deals with judgment, is that there are no pleas for Edom to return to God. Uh, there's no words of consolation. There's no words of hope. Uh, there are no conditions for them to have possible deliverance. And we find here a proclamation of judgment without mercy. Uh, we find here a proclamation of judgment without a call to repentance. And the reason for this is because of Edom's arrogance, their pride. Now Edom was, uh, are the descendants of Esau. If you'll remember the story of Jacob and Esau. <coughs> they, uh, Esau became known as Edom, which means red. And he was named that because of the red porridge, that uh, the stew that he traded his birthright for, if you'll remember that story. When he came in and was famished, and Jacob uh, sold, uh, asked him to sell his birthright for a pot of stew. And traditionally, they uh, had a red stew, and that's where the word Edom came from. Um, after this took place, and we remember how Jacob fled, and years later, uh, Jacob and Esau, as brothers, made up. But their families have had bitter opposition uh, since that time, according to Scripture. So much so that when the Israelites were traveling through the wilderness, uh, they were coming through the land or needed to go through the land of Edom, and Edomites refused to let the Israelites go through the land of Edom. Uh, so a great bitterness uh, is there. And in fact, uh, here these are uh, distant cousins and uh, what should be their brethren, family. And at times when they should come and be the allies and, and benefactors of and helpful to one another, they actually, the Edomites, are, are very much the, the oppressors of Israel. There's a strong, strong bitterness here. Esau uh, later moved to the mountains of Seir, uh, which is a, a tremendously defended area. Some of you may be familiar with um, the city named Petra. Uh, it's in a, a, a valley that's a very narrow canyon. It's easily defended. And uh, this is where the Edomites were kind of centered around, and they prided themselves on the fact that they could not be overthrown. Uh, they were brought under subjection by a few nations, uh, but they had willingly succumbed to that uh, without a lot of fighting because of the fact that their, their, their position was very much a defendable position. But they opposed Saul during his reign uh, under David and Solomon. They were subdued, and they were uh, kind of put back on the back burner. They fought against Jehoshaphat when he was in power. They rebelled against Jehoram when he was in power. Later on, they come under the uh, influence of the Assyrians and the Babylonians. 
And, uh, but during all of that time of history, the Edomites are against Israel. And they are extremely arrogant to the things of the Lord. They rejoice not only when Jerusalem was overthrown, uh, but they, they took glee, they took joy whenever uh, the enemies of Israel would come and wreak havoc on the nation of Israel. They would sit back with joy in their hearts. And these were people who should have been part of their family and said, uh, we're going to come to your aid, we're going to be your ally. And they refused. And over and over and over again, there's a bitterness that's displayed. Eventually, Edom becomes known. <clears throat> they, uh, they kind of uh, merge uh, with um, uh, the, the uh, Horites and by intermarriage, and they just kind of absorbed into each other, uh, which was a pagan uh, group of folks. And uh, they eventually became known as the, uh, and I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, the Idumean or Idumean uh, folks. And uh, this is the line of people, that's, that's who they became known as. This is the line of people that Herod the Great came from. Herod the Great was from this group uh, of the Edomites and became the king uh, of Judah under Rome during 37 B.C. And the bitterness was so strong that part of the reason Herod wanted to kill Jesus was not just... Uh, I've heard it preached before, well, he was a king, and here they are seeking a king, and he was jealous of his kingship. And I, I'm certain that there was some element of that. But more importantly, I, I believe, because Herod knew the stories just as well as the Israelites did, of a coming Messiah. And when these wise men came and spoke to him about these things, and that they were written in the, the Old Testament scrolls, uh, Herod the Great hated the Israelites so much that he was trying to kill Jesus at a very early age. And, uh, and, and so this is where uh, these folks come from. The Edomites were no friend of Israel. They certainly have, uh, through their arrogance and through their pride, uh, been, been very strong against Israel. And um, as a result, God is bringing judgment on them. Uh, they continue for a number of years in power until uh, 70 A.D. when uh, Titus comes and uh, sacks Jerusalem, burns Jerusalem. And during that time uh, of, that, of that campaign, uh, the Edomites are wiped out. And God judges Edom by, uh, by uh, judging them to the point of uh, uh, having no remnant left. And uh, we see some, some tremendous judgments uh, of the Lord, and we do not hear of the Edomites after about 70 A.D. Uh, they are no longer in existence, and uh, so this this is the message that Obadiah is bringing: the judgment of Edom. The judgment that uh, Obadiah preaches about here uh, is very clear; it is very certain. Uh, the uh, second part of this book, uh, the first part of it, is in verses 1 to 18. That deals with the judgment of Edom. The second part of this book, and it's just the last few verses, verses 19 to 21, deal with the restoration of Israel and how that God is going to give them hope that they'll possess their land again at some point and also that they will possess the land of the Edomites and Philistia. And so not only are they going to be able to possess their own land, but they're going to be able to possess the land of their enemies. <coughs> Excuse me. The time of Obadiah... Uh, there are no kings that are mentioned here, but uh, more than likely uh, was during, as we mentioned before, the time uh, of uh, Jehoram and Jehoshaphat, probably around uh, 848 B.C. 
which would have been around the time that the Philistines and the Arabians came and invaded uh, the land. Uh, there is no mention of any king, so all we have to go on are some of the historical elements of the book. Um, verses 10 through about verse number 14 gives a little bit of the setting uh, that we can kind of look at and gauge throughout the rest of the history that is given in Scripture and say, okay, it seems to fit in this area. And so we're not positive on the time frame of it, but somewhere in that range seems to be what fits with the book uh, of the time of the writing of Obadiah. Let's look at the Christ of Obadiah. Turn with me uh, to verse number 15. We're going to see three different pictures of Christ, I believe, in Obadiah. And uh, the first one is found in verse number 15 and 16. The Bible says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the heathen, <clears throat> as thou hast done, it shall be done unto thee. Thy reward shall, be, shall return upon thine own head. For as ye have drunk upon my holy mountain, so shall all the heathen drink continually. Yea, they shall drink, and they shall swallow down, and they shall be as though they had not been. And uh, we, hear, we find here uh, Christ pictured as the judge of the nations. We've been studying in Revelation, <coughs> and we're at that point where the judgment of God, uh, of God has reached a point where there is no more mercy extended. Realizing this, that uh, God has extended mercy from the time of Adam until the present day. And there is coming a time, the Bible speaks of it, and we find here again a mention of it in verse number 15, that this day of the Lord is going to come. And there's going to be judgment on the nations that have rejected God, and there's not going to be mercy. There's going to be no mercy extended. I, I'm amazed over and over throughout history how oftentimes God brought chastening or judgment either upon His own people or those that had done wrong, and how often in that judgment... He stays his hand at some point and gives mercy. Uh, we studied last week with Amos. There were five different judgments that God was going to bring. And yet the first two, he didn't end up bringing them. Because Amos came along and uh, interceded for Israel on behalf of Israel. And God extended mercy to them. But there is going to come a time, and God is going to be just in doing so, that there will be no mercy extended to man anymore. The judgment of God is going to be right. And his, his, his despising of sin is going to be poured out in all of his wrath and all of his indignation. Not because he hates man, but because he hates sin. In fact, God loves man very, very much. And he desires to see man come to a saving knowledge of him. And what an amazing truth that we find here as... <coughs> excuse me... <coughs> as Obadiah speaks of this uh, judgment without mercy. And so we find that mentioned as the judge of the nations. Look in verse 17, and uh, we're going to read several verses here. But upon Mount Zion shall, he, uh, shall be deliverance, there shall be holiness. And the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And the house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau for stubble. And they shall kindle in them and devour them, and they shall not, there shall not be any remaining of the house of Esau, for the Lord hath spoken it. And they of the south shall possess the mount of Esau, and they, shall, and they of the plains of the Philistines, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim, and the fields of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess uh, Gilead. And the captivity of this host of the children of Israel shall possess that of the Canaanites, even unto Zarephath, and the captivity of Jerusalem, which is in uh, Shepharad, uh, shall possess the cities 
of the South. And here we see uh, not only the judge of the nations, but we see Christ pictured as the Savior of Israel. And as he comes to deliver them and to give them the possession, uh, restore the possession of the land uh, back to them again. And then in verse number 21, we find in, uh, the Bible says, And saviors shall come upon uh, uh, Mount Zion to judge the Mount of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. And here we find uh, that he is the possessor of the kingdom. And so we find three different pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ, I believe, uh, given here in this book. The key of the uh, book, or the theme of the book, is the judgment of Edom. That is the overlying, overresting theme. There is a lot to be learned by the judgment of Edom. And that is the fact that God does not tolerate uh, the sin. Uh, he is merciful, and I'm thankful He has extended His mercy to us for this long. But sin is still despised in the eyes of the Lord. It's not something He winks at. It's something that He has offered and extended mercy for our sake and for the sake of His own Son. We've not earned His mercy, but He has extended it to us regardless of that. Uh, but that does not mean that He cannot or that He can tolerate sin. He, he hates sin, and uh, His wrath will be poured out upon it. Uh, the key verses are found in chapter or verse number 10. Let's look in verse number 10. <clears throat> For thy violence against thy brother Jacob, shame shall cover thee, and thou shalt be cut off, notice this phrase, uh, forever. And so because of the fact that they have uh, been enemies of Israel, and specifically uh, uh, to uh, Judah in particular, but, but to Israel as a whole, uh, we see that they are going to be cut off because of how much they've despised their brethren. And then the other key verse is verse number 21 that speaks of uh, the restoration of Israel. We've already read that verse. The key chapter, you want to take a guess at which chapter is the key chapter of Obadiah? Okay, only one chapter. So the whole book is its own key and uh, is a tremendous book. If you get a chance to read it, uh, it, it really will cause you to see uh, how seriously God takes this issue of sin. And just because he shows mercy, I think sometimes we mistake that as God being okay with our sin. God is not okay with our sin. I'm thankful he's a God of mercy. But he's also a just God. And arrogance and pride will always be the downfall. It will always be the thing that God looks at and gets... Uh, I, I, was, I was in college, I mentioned this a number of, a number of years ago here in our church, or uh, about a year or so ago at least... I was in college, in Bible college, in one of our classes. I don't remember which one it was now, but uh, I do remember the professor. And uh, he had every class, it didn't matter what subject he was teaching, every class had to do this project uh, during the semester. And that was that we had to take the Bible, and we had to find every account, uh, every time that there, the Bible spoke of pride or proud or haughtiness, and we had to write the verse down, and then we had to write a sentence or so uh, of what we learned or what the principle was that was being taught by that particular verse. There's a lot of them in there, more than you think. And it took a while to get that. I remember the, uh, towards the last day of the semester, we all brought our projects in and stacked them up on his desk, and then he went and sat on the corner of his desk. He said, now what have you learned from this? And some people raised their hands and uh, one guy said, well, uh, uh, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And 
He said, yes, that's a truth that is taught, but that's not what I wanted you to learn from this. And then another person raised their hand about a verse that they knew of about pride or haughtiness and taught, said, this is what I learned from it, what that verse taught. And he said, well, that verse does teach that, but that's not what I wanted you to learn. And after about four or five people had done that, nobody wanted to raise their hand anymore. <laughs> and uh, he finally said, uh, he said, folks, what I want you to get from this is that every sin has its root in pride. Every sin has its root in pride. And I sat there, you know how you are as a young person, you know better. Especially, that, that, who's that professor? You know, he's 50, 60 years old, he's an old fuddy-duddy, he's probably forgotten more than I know right now. And I don't think he's right. And that, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you, the first thought in my heart was, I don't think that's right. I think I could find some sins that did not have their root in pride. And I started thinking of some. And I said, here's one I don't think would have. Well, no. Yeah, I can see where pride was, was right there at the beginning. And I thought of another one and then another. You know, I sat there that day and I thought, he's right about this. Every sin has its root in pride. Because we always have free will. We have a choice. Even though we are tempted, we don't have to give in to sin. We do so willingly. We do so because of our pride and our ego. And Edom had been arrogant, had defied God, had been unkind to his children for so long that God said, I'm going to bring judgment. I've given you time to repent. I've given you time to do the right thing. So there is no more time. You will not be given a chance to repent or to return at this point. And he said, there will be no remnant. And he destroys the Edomites. Wiped them off the face of the earth. Simply because of their arrogance. Very small book. 21 verses. But probably one of the strongest messages on the judgment of God that you'll find in your Bible. Powerful, powerful message. Let's uh, go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed in word of prayer. And uh, then we'll have our service here in just a few moments for the 11 o'clock hour. Father, we do pray that you'll bless the time that we spent here in this hour to study a little bit about the background of the book of Obadiah and who the author was and who we believe him to be. But Father, out of all the setting and all the context that we've given, all the time frames, a little bit of the background of the Edomites, Lord, may we not miss the message.